dog tags or a cap or a coat or a jacket. Thank you for participating just to kind of like create a little mood for spiritual warfare. So this will be the last Sunday for spiritual warfare, but this is not the last Sunday that we'll talk about ways to defeat the enemy who tries to kill, steal, and destroy our lives, our families, our jobs, our finances. Don't ever think, don't ever think for a moment that this war is over. When things are going good, when we get promotions or jobs or God blesses us with spouses or he blesses our finances, our checking account, he blesses our kids or he gives us things that we have been asking for, don't think that because things are going well that the fight is over. This fight is never over, amen? It's not over until we're with the Lord. Always stay vigilant, stay on the lookout, Stay mindful of the fact that the enemy is trying to destroy us and he wants to undermine us at every turn. Amen? So in closing on this series, three things I want to leave with you. Three primary defenses we have to defeat the enemy and be victorious all the time. Here the three things are. Number one, the word of God. The word is first and foremost. When we use the word the way the Bereans did, we will be successful. Amen? Amen. Number two is prayer. Prayer changes things. At the minimum, it changes us. At the minimum. And number three, worship. Praise confuses the enemy, and it gives us victory. Because when you start praising God, good things happen. Amen? Here's just a couple verses for those. You ready? You should have notes, and I'll just, say, I'll just read a couple things to you. Regarding the Word of God, when you use the Word of God, here's what happens. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 6, it says, Then Ezra, I'm reading from the New American Standard for now, Rosie, but don't worry, I'll be using the KJV too. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Do you know what Amen means? Yes, yeah, so be it. I agree. I affirm. I'm on board. I accept. And it not just, doesn't just mean that you accept mentally. It's just not just mental ascent. It means I'm willing to obey and to follow. It's, it suggests a commitment of action, a call to arms. Gloria was right. We have a battle cry, a call to arms. As the great late, uh, late great preacher said, we report to duty, and therefore we're ready for battle at all times. So here's, here's Nehemiah saying he's rebuilding, rallying the troops to rebuild the walls. The walls have been rebuilt around Jerusalem. They re, re, were ready to reestablish temple worship. And the Bible says, in the at latter part of verse 7, it says, they explained, the Levites and the other ministers explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. By the way, that's the definition of expository preaching. What we do here at this church, we explain the word of God, not preach at you, but we preach what the word says and we teach you so that you get an understanding of it. Because just to make you feel good here means nothing if it doesn't translate into real life actions. It's about a transformative teaching that changes our outlook. Amen. That's what Nehemiah did, and that's what your humble servant and the ministers here are trying to do, is to provide teaching that's, yes, accurate, yes, balanced, yes, clear, but also transformative, A-B-C-T, accurate, balanced, clear, and transformative, amen? Amen. So it says in verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense of so that they understood the reading. 
And that's, that's what we try. That's what you all should strive. Listen and embrace preaching and teaching that explains the word so that you understand the word. You can't live what you don't understand. And you can't understand what you don't know. So we need to know the word. We need to live the word. We need to share the word. That's what Ezra did in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Amen? So the word of God is just so precious. And he goes on to say later on down uh, relative to the listening of the word. He says, don't be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you hear the word, the word brings joy. So many Christians live joyous lives. They're down, they're depressed, they have dogs on their faces, they have a prune face look. They just don't look like there's any joy. Like being a Christian is no fun. I'm going to tell you, being a Christian is the greatest fun, the greatest joy anybody on earth can have. If this isn't joyous for you, you're not doing it right. If you don't feel joy, if your life isn't motivated by joy, I don't mean that you're going to always be happy and on cloud nine 24-7. That's not joy. That's happiness, and happiness is circumstantial. Joy is not circumstantial. Joy transcends circumstances. It transcends what's going on in your life. It transcends positions. It transcends happenings or events. It's above that. It's having that inner peace, that confidence to know that God is always in control of my life. Even when I'm going through the battle, even when I'm going through the storm, even when I'm down in the dumps, Elder Reginald Heath, God is in control of my life and he knows where I'm at and he's walking with me even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Mm. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That's what sustains us, knowing the word. And from the word, I get joy. I get joy because I know that we win. It's a fixed fight. God has already won the battle when Jesus died on the cross. When he got up, when he was resurrected from the dead, we all declared victory right then and there. That was victory for all of us, that death is not how this story ends. The grave is not how this story ends. Yes, yes. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Weapon number two is prayer. Listen to this little passage here on prayer in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. It says, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Verse 17, I posted watchmen over you who said, listen for the sound of the alarm. This, this, this thing about prayer this, these two verses in Jeremiah 16, 6, 16, and 17 are talking about us as a congregation, online and on site, returning to the old ways of the scripture. Forget about all of this new Christianity. This, this yeah, this, this, I call it this California Christianity. Some of it is just like it's Hollywood stuff. It's like there's no real commitment to the word. It's like commitment to what's going on in society. It's like a, it's like a publicity thing. Like everyone wants to stay hip. Everybody wants to stay cool. Whatever the world is doing, we're trying to emulate that in the church. 
We don't need to do that. You don't win people by acting like them. You don't win people by doing what they do, singing how they sing, dress how they dress, use the language and that they talk about and use their lexicon for communicating. That's not how we win them. We win them by being different, by being Christ-like. You can be like Jesus without being judgmental. You can be like Jesus without being self-righteous. You can be like Jesus without looking down your nose on people and acting like you're better than them. You can still be like Jesus and maintain a standard of holiness. Being like Jesus is not being dismissive. It's not being insensitive. Being like Jesus is not being critical. It's being compassionate and holy and sensitive and loving, but still righteous. Jesus interacted with every people, all people from every walk of life. And the people that treated him the worst were religious people. And he, had, he reserved his most contempt for the religious community that was hypocritical and self-righteous. Amen? I think we need to learn compassion, but not compromise. You can be compassionate without being compromising. You can learn to love people without affirming what they do. Amen? Amen? The world wants to see a difference. The world is not interested in seeing people that look, act, and sound like them. Where's the difference? Why would they want to come to this? Right? We want to be different. We want to draw people. The Bible says if I'm lifted up, in the earth, I will drive. We exalt the Lord and we elevate him and we show how good it is to be saved and sanctified. People that really want to be saved and sanctified will be inspired by that. That will be a witness to them. People that just want to play games and looking for a hypocritical church or some easy sensor, seeker sensitive operation, they're going to come and go. We're not interested in those people. We're interested in people that are literally interested and serious about being saved, right? There's always going to be people playing games. We are interested in people that want to be like Jesus. Those that want to play games, we can be compassionate, we can be kind and polite, but don't throw your pearl before swines when people aren't interested in being converted, when people aren't interested in being saved and sanctified, amen? All right, I'm almost done. One more point, and that's worship. Turn, if you will, to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. 2 Chronicles chapter 5, starting at verse 11. Here's what it says. When the priest came forth, I'm on verse 11, from the holy place. The reason, by the way, I go so fast and jump right to the point is because you also have the various scriptures that I'm reading in your notes. That's why I include the scriptures in your notes, so that in case you don't have time to find the scriptures in the Bible, you can read them right from the sheets, okay? When the priest came forth from the holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without regard to divisions. Let me just explain verse 11 right quick. What that is saying is that the priest, the word sanctification there, and Hebrew is translated consecrated. The, he, the priests got themselves together spiritually. They repented, they confessed their sins, they made sure that their life was circumspect before the Lord. And when they had consecrated themselves, when they had set themselves aside for God's use, the Bible says they came together in order. Typically, the priests were given certain days of the schedule that they were to serve. 
this particular passage says, without regard to what their Sunday was or their order, these priests prepared themselves to stand before God to serve, to minister. So there's something there for us. When we come to church on Sunday, listen, all through the week, listen, starting Monday, starting tomorrow, listen, everybody, starting tomorrow, start preparing yourself for next Sunday. Start preparing yourself financially. Start preparing yourself physically, getting rest. Start preparing yourself spiritually by making sure your life is circumspect. Start preparing yourself in terms of your knowledge of the word by studying and reading. 2 Timothy 2.15, studying to show yourself approved, a workman that needed rightly divided, rightly dividing the word of truth that needed not be ashamed. You start next, you start tomorrow preparing for worship next Sunday. Because worship is a seven-day, 24-hour, 365 experience. We're always in God's presence. We're always looking forward to worshiping him corporately. So we start preparing so that we have our offering that we can present to him, whatever amount it is. We have our body in a position where we can worship him physically with strength and stamina. And we have ourselves ready spiritually so that we can offer him an offering with holy hands as vessels of honor. Yeah. Are y'all with me? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm almost done. Here it goes. Verse 13. In unison with the trumpeters. That's Lisa, the whole brass section. And the singers. That's the praise team. They would make themselves heard with one voice. One band, one sound. One choir, one sound. One group, one sound. One church, one sound. One body of believers, one voice. Unity brings about just the move of the Spirit. There's no obstacles. There's no pushback. There's no division. There's no, there's, there's no divisiveness. People aren't mad or fighting with one another. We're here for one purpose. One congregation, one purpose. One set of singers, one sound. One band, one voice, one unison, one effort before the Lord so that God is the only focus of our attention. Amen? Amen. And it says here, I love this, in verse 13 it says, they, they heard themselves with one voice to praise and to glorify the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice, accompanied by the trumpets and the cymbals, that's Andy, and the instruments of music, that's Lexi. And they praised the Lord, saying, that's the praise team in the congregation, saying, he indeed is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Then the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Amen? We sometimes refer to that as Shekinah glory. Whether it was Shekinah glory or not, the word Shekinah is not in the Bible per, per se. It's a Hebrew word that actually means to dwell. It's when God takes up residency, when God comes to occupy a space. That's God's Shekinah glory. Several places it's mentioned, but not by name, but by experience. In the Old and New Testament, one of them was the cloud that led them by day when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and a pillar of fire by night. But this cloud here came and filled the temple of God because the people were on one accord 
in one place, with one mind, with one voice, at one time, with one purpose. And God said, I can get with that. I can connect with that. There's something about unity that drives away the enemy. When we're arm in arm, two, one can put a thousand to flight, right? Two can put how many to flight? 10,000, Rod. Two can put 10,000 to flight. When we team up, where two or three are gathered in my name, when we are together, when we're working as a unit, in unison, together, there is nothing that God won't do for us. If it's his will, he's free to flow. It works. It works. And I'm not talking about some sort of form of prosperity teaching or, or a see it, say it, or seize it and say it. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about getting something. You're not going to necessarily get a big flat screen TV. But God will bless you. God will store. Who knows? Who knows? Listen, who knows the dangers that God keeps us from on a daily basis? We're always talking about acquisition. What about prevention? We're always talking about receiving for something from God. What about protection? We're always talking about getting more on our plate. What about what he's kept from taking from us? What about that? We have no idea how much God has done for us in the invisible world, in the angelic world, in the secret world that God has done for us that we weren't even privy to. Mm. You don't know. But the scripture tells us things that we thought was good could have been bad. What Joseph's brothers did to him was absolutely reprehensible. It was terrible. But in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph said, look, dudes, y'all cats, let me just put it in 2020, 2024 language. What y'all did was foul. <laughs> I, it was just wrong to sell your brother, to leave me for dead, to kick me out of the house, to lock me out, let me get picked up by these traitors, to do what you, it was just, I'm, we're flesh and blood. Dude, how could you do that to me? Joseph could have been totally salty. He could have just brought down the power of Egypt on his brothers. All 10 of them. But guess what he said? He said, you dudes, you dudes meant it for evil. I know what you tried to do. I know you tried to hurt me. I know you tried to kill me. I know you put me down. I know you talked about me. I know you schemed and you plotted and you planned and you thought about how good we can do away with this nappy haired boy with the coat of many colors. I know you didn't like me. I know you didn't like me. But what you thought was evil as much as I didn't like being excommunicated from my family, as much as I didn't like being thrown into slavery under the, author, uh, 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 under the rulership of Potiphar, as much as I didn't like being accused of sexually misconduct with Potiphar's wife, as much as I didn't like being thrown in the prison without as so much as a word of defense or representation. As much as I didn't like the fact that my credibility didn't stand for itself with Potiphar. As much as I didn't like that the butler and the baker, I don't I always forget which one forgot him. One of those dudes forgot me. As much as I didn't like that, I can say this. It was the baker. Thanks, Sister Annie. I can say this. 
That's probably why I don't like donuts to this day. I can say, no, actually I like donuts too much. Here's what I can say. Here's what Joseph can say. In spite of the fact that you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. We could be going through something. We listen, as I really I'm I'm gonna close. We could be we could be going through something that is just horrendous right now. But God may have something planned for that that will just blow our minds. There's no way Jacob and his sons live through that worldwide famine if Joseph is not in charge in Egypt, setting aside enough grain and enough food for the next seven years to literally feed Egypt and the world. There's no way they survive. Jacob dies earlier. All the 10 sons, the 11 other brothers, they die. They die. You say, well, Pastor, well, you can't say that. Well, yes, I can. Because Joseph said it, because God told him that I'm doing this through you so that many people might be saved alive. Sometimes God allows what we think as bad things to happen so that better things can happen later. I just trust the Lord. I'm sorry. I believe that when we worship him, when we worship him and that Shekinah glory overwhelms us, I believe that good things happen to those people that praise the Lord. Don't ever, don't ever think that you can praise the Lord too much. Amen. You can never praise the Lord too much. There's never, it's never out of order to give God thanks. It's never out of order to be grateful. I love Sister Marie's song. I'm so grateful. I'm grateful, 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 grateful. Yes, we can beg all day, but I'm going to tell you something, Sister Mary Favors. I could just go on. I could just go on and on and on and on. Like the Energizer Bunny Rabbit talking about God's goodness. I, I almost have 70 years worth of stories to tell you guys about God's goodness. Yes. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. Lord, we thank you for this worship today. We thank you for this service. At 12.02 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we thank you, Lord, that we can just go on and on and on and on about our overwhelming gratitude for you, our overwhelming gratefulness to you, Lord, may these three weapons that you've allowed us to have in our arsenal, the weapon of your word, the sword of the spirit, the weapon of prayer, the power that can restore us to the old landmark so that we're in good standing with you and give us victory in all things, the weapon of worship that allows you to come and take notice. Oh, Lord, we're just so thankful that you can come and abide with us, that you can take up resonance with us, we ask you, Lord, to bless us this week that we will be soldiers more fortified with a battle cry of Jesus, the name above all names, the name that can stop the planets from rotating in orbit, the name that is the name that given that only men, the only name given according to Acts 4.12, whereby men must be saved. We thank you for your name. Our battle cry is when all is going wrong, when all seems to be failing, we can say Jesus. 
and you understand what that means. We don't need to elaborate. We don't need to enumerate. We don't need to give you a laundry list. When we say Jesus, you understand that. It's a language that the Holy Spirit interprets on our behalf, according to Romans 8.26. And we stand on your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.